Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. I'm very grateful to Martin Simmons, actually, because without him, we would have missed the news that following the fact that last week we were talking about your actual trip to the legendary Wheelie Festival. To Wheelie! In 1971. Clacking on sea. 50, <laughs> count them, 5 50 years ago. Uh, but Martin uh, gets in touch to say that on Monday, I didn't realize this, uh, there's a wheelie tribute festival close to the site of the original, and um, we've just been having a look at the the website. It, be, I'm just tri- looking at it now. It's hilarious. It's tribute acts, isn't it? Basically, yeah. It's an Ed Sheeran tribute act. The Spice Girls with a Z. Uh, there's an Oasis band uh, who look absolutely nothing like them. What else have we got? Have you got was it, is it Dave as Rod Stewart? Yeah, I, I, Dave. I, I do believe it's he's, he's so it's effect- Dave as Rod Stewart. That's it's effectively Dave, isn't it's it? It's Dave. Yeah, yeah Dave. Uh, it's Dave saying, do you think I'm sexy? That's basically <laughs> what it is. Um, uh, but I was particularly intrigued by looking at the, um, at seeing how the tariff, shall we call it that, compares and contrasts with your experience back in 1971. Uh, I'm looking at the um, uh, the options here. You can get an adult VIP ticket for £23 plus the £3 booking fee. You can get a child VIP ticket. The idea that a child is VIP is interesting. £15 plus £2 booking fee. And then my personal favourite, the OAP VIP. Of course. <laughs> well, That's the great. OAP. The they're they're sold out. Sadly, that's uh, seventeen. Pounds. They would be well. They'll be all be survivors of the original campaign. It'll all be people run. my age. Mind you, we didn't get. I'm looking at. We didn't get an inflatable side, head massage, paintball, <laughs> a boutique market, henna tattoos, <laughs> shooters. So, so they psychology. I think the parking is six pounds plus a booking fee. Yeah, there it is. Car parking six pounds plus one pound booking fee. Now. 
How much was it for you to go to the well, original? Well, I think I've got a feeling it was two quid, but then I've also got a feeling it was less than that on the door, as it were. <laughs> I think it was pound fifty. <laughs> but you didn't get much for your pound fifty. But I mean, you did get, as we said last week, wall to wall music starting at Friday evening and ending twenty four hours a day later um, on Monday morning. So we got a pretty yeah. good deal. You did get kept awake for 48 hours, didn't you? We did. That's, uh, that was, yeah, we were happy. Yeah, you I were just, happy. I just, I'm just looking at a poster that Jeremy Vine, I think it was, tweeted the other day. He said he thought one of the best festivals lineups he'd ever been to was Reading Rock Festival in 79. I'm going to read you this very quickly. Because it's 79. Fantastic. 1979, Reading. I reviewed I'm it for the enemy. I was I there. 78. You might have been there. No, I wasn't. I no, reviewed okay. it for the enemy in 78 when it was kind of uh, Sham 69 versus the Jam and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but look, this is amazing. Friday night, you've got The Police, The Tourists, Wilco Johnson, The Cure. Go oh slowly. My God. Go slowly. Got the okay, The Police, yeah, The Tourists. Yeah. Remember Annie Lennox? I Dave, certainly do. Pete Wilco Coons. Johnson. Pete Coombs, that's right. Eddie Chin. And, you, and Jim, do it to me. Don't we, tell me we can... We've named we, we the know all five members of the tourists. <laughs> I went on the road with the tourists. Um, I went on the road with them down to Bristol Colston Hall, uh, as we were still allowed to call it then. In a van. It was really it, good fun. Uh, sorry, brief digression on the tourists. Wasn't Pete Coombs the kind of leading light? Of he was. The he was, was the person band. who read the songs, yeah. Yeah, he was, he was the kind of Brian Jones of the group. Actually thought of himself as Brian Jones. And so, so talk about, you know, having his thunder stolen. He really did. <laughs> it all ended in tears. They fell out really badly. Oh, oh really? Oh, dear. I think so. I know, very sad. Oh, anyway, the two tourists, were th- they'd had a hit, hadn't they? Uh, yeah, I, I only want to be, want to be with, with you. you. Yeah. Uh, Wilco Johnson third. The Cure... Right. I mean, on fourth on the bill, that's pretty good. Nineteen seventy-nine. You want to see the doll by doll, who were fantastic. I yeah, think. yeah. Punishment of luxury, aka Pun- Punny Lux. Punny Lux. Yeah, the Jags. Oh, it sounds like a vacuum cleaner. The Jags. The Jags, a lot of straight ties, a lot of thin lapels, skinny ties, thin lapels. Signed to Ireland. Rolled back sleeves. They signed to Ireland. Came from Scarborough. Did they? Lin- uh, linen their, jackets. Their, their hit was called. What was it called, Mark? Oh, oh God. Go got on. Your, I got your number written on the back of my the hand. Of man, that's right. Back of man, that's the one. Yes. My God. It was a kind of Elvis Costello light, wasn't it? That it was. was. Yeah. And then we had Bite the Pillow, amusingly titled after presumably the Jeremy Thorpe court case. Oh, good grief. Was, <laughs> was it that the name this? of that man, Bite the Pillow? I think so. God, yeah, I, was, I, I know. It became a kind of hilarious uh, kind of uh, comment at the time. And Motorhead with the special guest. That's just Friday night, right? Wow. So that's the warm-up, basically. This is fantastic. So Saturday night, you've got Thin Lizzy. That's good, isn't it? Thin oh, yeah. Lizzy in 1979. Mm. Steve Hackett, Inner Circle... Who I remember pretty fondly. Oh, reggae, uh, cabin, yeah, reggae yeah, group in Capital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Ian Gillen, Bram Tchaikovsky, again, another group that I went on the road with. Uh, is, that, is, that, is that Bram Tchaikovsky's oh, Metalax? No, it's just, it says just Bram Tchaikovsky. Just him on his own. Metalax may well have tragically split. But, uh, yeah, then there was uh, the movies, a fairly unknown group, I think signed to Warner Brothers. Oh. A guy called Jamie Lane on drums, I can remember. The Yachts. Okay, they were good. Oh, Henry yachts. Priestman. Yeah, Henry yeah. Priestman, exactly. Major pod listener. Yeah. Um, a group called Fame and Cheap Trick. And that's not bad. Cheap Trick. Bad. This whole thing is £10.95, okay? Can you, remember, can you name all four members of Cheap Trick? 
God, no. You see, there were people right now, there were people right now walking dogs in parks or whatever or on running machines going, yes, I can, I can, I can. Sir, like, sir. Sir, <laughs> sir, sir. Me, me, sir. Yes, you got it. You got it right, sir. You were the colleague. Go on, do the it. Park. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, Rick Nielsen. Yeah. Bun E. Carlos. Robin Zander. No, not Robin Zander. Somebody Zander. And oh God, who's the other good-looking one? I failed in my quest to name all four members. But that to do three quarters of cheap tricks, pretty. No, uh, the ugly ones at the back. The uh, Bunny Carlos and Rick Nielsen. Then and there was a guy called Zobin uh, Zander and somebody. Oh God, I can't again mix it up the name. How do you remember that? See, I can only really remember the groups that either ones I really loved or ones that I whose captions I had to write out on rock magazines. I, I, so, I you know, I can probably kind of do you big country or something like that. I can probably do, you know, those kind of people who you just constantly... here we go, here we go, here we go. I've got them. Robin Zander was really good looking blonde guy, all oh, right. Front. Uh, and then the other good looking guy was Tom Peterson, who's a bass player. But then the kind of uh, the geeks, uh, were Rick Nielsen and Bonnie Carlos. Um, so anyway, carry on. They had Jeep Trick. Come Jeep Trick. That's Sunday night. Okay. Okay. Well, you think it's slightly tailing off? I don't think so. We've got Peter Gabriel, huge deal in 1979, riding yep. on the top of various hits. We've got White Snake, who uh, I've just been listening to an old classic pod. Um, to for, for us to re-promote that we must have done about, I think, in 2012. We interviewed a guy called Guy Pratt. You remember the wonderful Guy Pratt? Oh, we do. Bass yeah. player. And he's so yeah. funny, he talks about being in Whitesnake for a while. And now <laughs> David Coverdale, he does this brilliant impersonation of David Coverdale. He's actually got rather a posh voice. And uh, he, I think he may, may, was he a public school boy? I can't remember, but he's very yeah, posh. He came from North did. Yorkshire. I North Yorkshire, that. but he actually speaks rather possibly, you know. And he calls the band Witter Snarky. <laughs> <laughs> very he's good. wonderful. He's wonderful. And he says things like, um, uh, he, he, he said, he remember him introducing one song when they were playing in Japan. It was the encore. And he goes on stage. He says, um, uh, what say you that we kick the shit out of this one and fuck off directly afterwards? <laughs> Which is pretty good, isn't it? So anyway, you also got Climax Blues Band. Oh, right. they were great. I love Climax. Could, Blues. Yeah, managed by Miles Copeland. Miles Copeland, absolutely. And their hit, re- their hit record, the hit record was couldn't get it right. Really yeah. good, re- really good record, really good tune. Very uncharacteristic because mainly what they did was uh, you know blues jams. But anyway, carry on. The members, a little bit of punk rock for you, and Absolutely. big hits, Rat Up a yeah. Drain Pipe, Offshore Banking Business, etc. Yeah. Wild Horses, I can't remember Wild Horses, actually. It is starting to tail off slightly now, isn't it? Wild, Wild Horses. Horses sound to me like a kind of one of those identical metal hard rock groups that were put together from the fragments of Thin Lizzy or people who left those groups. Yes, probably was. It's anyway, go on. Zane Griff, which I do remember oh, that name. God, yeah. Zane Griff, I see that as being a slightly glam metal band, but I might be wrong. Uh, speedometers after the fire, and then Molly Hatchet, and then the Ramones. I mean, that's fantastic, isn't it? Molly Hatchet followed by the Ramones. By the Ramones, I know. That's great. Zane Griff. 95 all in. Zane Griff is a singer-songwriter who was part of the English New Wave and New Romantic scene of the early 1980s. Okay, I'm miles Raised, right, Well, I don't know. Raised in New Zealand, moved to England in the 70s. Worked with Lindsay Kemp. And uh, there you go. Um, and so Molly Hatchet, I'm trying to imagine that. It's a bit of a change of gear. Molly Hatchet 
to the Ramones. Yeah, that's, go off stage and on come the brothers. That's, that's fantastic, amazing. isn't it? That's amazing. Um, I covered it for, for the NME, the Reading Festival, the year before, and they had twin stages. So they had uh, the jam setting up, a play on one, and they were setting up Sham 69 or wherever it was on the other. And the press, little tiny press triangle was in between. And eventually there was a, there was a fight. The kind of jam fans kind of had a go at the, uh, at the kind of uh, the, the sham army and met in the press enclosure for a kind of full-on battle. <laughs> I remember we all had to flee and had to hide under the stage, and people coming in with kind of the... I think there was, there was blood drawn. I mean, it was really quite exciting, So actually. one louder wishes to know, uh, the Leeds Reading Festival, would we go? He wants to know. Would we go? Well, would we go if, if we were how old? 16. If I we suppose. were 16, we'd be there like a shot. Yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. you were in the right of passage. Reading has to be your first festival. It was mine. Absolutely. Yeah. 1971, I think it was. 1970. But nowadays, we would, uh, you know, we might go to a rendezvous with a grandchild on the uh, on the M4 or something. That's right. Pick them up pick from a lay-by. Pick them up Mug caked, unrecognisable. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't think we'd be, uh, you know, we'd be going... We'll be going for our own fun. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at these these other questions we got to, uh, got in from from somebody, and uh, and I'm trying to find. Who oh, I, I saw in. a great one about prog. Did you see that one? I oh said yeah, when did progs? When did prog start? That's a good question. And I've just, I mean, also, what are the? I mean, honestly, what are the hallmarks of prog? Well, let's just go through the history of the nomenclature, shall we, here? For okay, go on. Go on. Start with that. Because, you see, I think it's quite, it, this is quite interesting, and it's um, it's one of those aspects of the past that comes as a bit of a surprise to the present. Um, you know, if you go back into the 60s, into the early 60s, bands weren't called bands. They were called groups. Yep. Uh, and they, they weren't, weren't called, yet called acts. Were they, they weren't called rock groups. They were called beat groups or pop groups or yeah. whatever. And then they might start being called rock groups. And then they, the term that was uh, in in wide use to uh, to encompass anybody with long hair who, who played kind of strange, unaccustomed music that probably had a long you know, sections of jamming about it or, or whatever, was underground music, wasn't it? Yeah. That was it was called underground music for quite a while. And then... Meaning you were proud of the fact that it wasn't very commercial. Yes. And, you supported yeah, the fact that yeah, well, you yeah. applauded their uh, commercial fame. Absolutely. As, you know, as indicated by the Nicky Horn radio programme, your mother wouldn't like it. That was the, oh. main, the main qualification for that music. That's it. The, that normal people thought it was odd. Um, and then you had progressive music, which I suppose started to come into use when the jamming got more kind of more jazzy and uh, and and more in, in, in kind of classical shapes as well. And people started doing things with movements in them and so forth. So progressive. One, one early arbiter of that, I still think, is good vibrations. Just because of the length, oh, it's okay. not prog, but no, good vibrations is interesting in that it's it's got a completely different pace to it. It's got a completely different length. You know, it's got that those kind of choral symphonies in the middle. It's got an, a kind of sections for kind of musical exploration, which would set it aside from everything else. I mean, it isn't prog, but it's sort of got some of those overtones. It's basically 
it's six pieces of music whacked together. Yes, it's got different movements. That's a good point. It's got different movements. That's... Act one, act two, because well, that's very prog, isn't it? But at least within a classical piece, the movements relate to each other. You know, the themes from the first one will reappear. And reappear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You won't get that in the average piece no, of work by yes. You know, it's basically, no. it's basically, I've written the first bit, now you can write the next bit, and then the third bit's the bass players, and then the full fifth drummers, and then we all come yeah, back Yeah, we all together. get a songwriting uh, royalty. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so that was progressive. Now, I don't think the term prog started being used until the late 70s. Probably not. No. I, and I, I think it was prog. slightly tongue-in-cheek. I think prog was... I get the feeling prog was started to be used after punk was used. So what do we call... I just thought of another one, actually. Days of Future Past was slightly prog, in terms of being concept. In it terms was of in terms of, yeah, but in music. But the first was... real prog things I, re- I, I remember recognising was In the Court of the Kings and Crim. Crim, Kings and Crim. Impossible to say. That's easy the for Crimson you King, easy for you to no, say. absolutely. That is. <laughs> I'm a gummer, surely. Set the controls, careful with that axe. 1969, fantastic. Well, I, I, I always think of yes. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And mainly loads of so loads of solos, lots of showing off. We liked all that. We, we loved it. We, we loved it all the showing off. Sitting there trying to work out the time signatures, feeling but all all, smug. But also in the case of Yes, it had a great deal of kind of showbiz about it. You know, it was um, it was melodic and it was dramatic, and uh, you know, it was uh, it was it, it could cater for short attention spans. <laughs> did we call it progressive? Could we call it progressive then? I don't know what we called it. What that, do we call that's it? That's what we called it, and that's my point. Did. We called it progressive. Yeah. Progressive. And I don't think we called it prog until the late 70s. Yeah. So I don't know if that answers the question. Um, but um, I found the other the other question from Stuart Robin, who says that there's a band called Goat, and they've <laughs> just they've just released an album called Head Soup. Did you hear about this? Goat's no, I haven't. Head no. Suit. Goat's no, no. Head suit. Yeah. And he said, any other regrettable jokey titles? And that got me thinking, actually, Stuart, because we all like a jokey title, such as, you know, uh, is it Frank Zappa made an album called Ship Arriving Too Late to Save a Drowning Witch? He made one called Shake Your Booty. Shake Your Booty. It was when he was dressed up as an Arab side. I explained that he dressed up as yeah. an Arab shake. Yeah. yeah. We we all remember with great fondness Pete Brown's Biblocko and Things May Come and Things May Go. But the art school dance goes on forever. Goes on forever. I love that. We all remember my people were fair and wore sky in their hair, but now they're content to wear stars, stars on, their brows on their brows by Tyrannosaurus Rex. We also remember Prophets, Seers and Sages, The Angels of the Ages by Tyrannosaurus Rex. And there are some of us who even remember when the pawn hits the conflicts, he thinks like a king. What he knows throws the blows when he goes to the fight and he'll win the whole thing before he enters the ring. There's no body to batter when your mind is your might. So when you go solo, you hold your own hand and remember that depth is the greatest fight. And if you know where you stand, then you know where to land. And you fall, it won't matter, because you'll know that you're right by Fiona Apple. That's right. That's right. But I think what they all have in common is they never bothered a chart ever. No, no. 
and I think there's there's a learning there <laughs> that if you do if you do a funny you know wise guy title, it very rarely. You it know, comes it, back and bites you in the ass. <laughs> very rarely, <laughs> yeah, very does. rarely do, does so. It uh, does all that well, and I think I, I could extend that to to the album by Omar Rodriguez Lopez called "Absence Makes the Heart Grow Fungus." That's brilliant, and <laughs> which I'm sure you know his fans very much appreciated. But I'm not sure it ever went any further than that. That's fantastic. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. So I've got out my Rolling Stones records, if, if anybody's watching this as well as listening to it. And um, I've got them, on my, I got them on my lap. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, this tattoo you, Rolling Stones, 40 years ago this week. 40 God alive. Yeah. <laughs> it's extraordinary. And I've only just, it's only just struck Quite me. a good record. I mean, my, my theory used to be that they didn't really make a, a decent record after um, Black and Blue, but I'm probably wrong. Would you say I'm wrong? Uh, I think. 76, the last really great record. That was fantastic. Well, this has got Start Me Up on it, and it's got yeah. Working for a Friend on it, but it was, it was largely put together from stuff they just had hanging around um, at that time because that was the. The beginning of the great, the great eighties freeze between Mick and Keith, which when nobody was quite sure whether they were ever, ever going to properly resume again. Mick nipped off, and made loads of solo albums, didn't he? he made two. Came so. back slightly chastened, <laughs> <laughs> tail between legs. Absolute, Sorry, nothing to see here. Absolutely, yeah. I know, I know. So anyway, um, somebody, this... somebody, somebody posted a, a thing to us saying, um, "Is it still the Stones without Charlie?" Well, and, we were uh, talking about we were this talking about that the other, other week because I thought it was really interesting that that imagine imagine that Charlie had died and that they weren't uh, you know they 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 hadn't planned to tour. They would then have to say, right, we're now officially going on the road oh, as yes. the Rolling Stones without Charlie. No, but actually, sure. what happened was they'd already taken precaution, hadn't they, because he was ill of. Um, of booking in Steve Jordan, who yeah. was his drum roadie, I think I can't remember his tech. Well, no, Steve Jordan was played on all sorts of people with all sorts of people. It's just a you know, session, really good session. But player. he's someone recommended by Charlie, so they've already got the they, they've got the kind of excuse that they are going to tour with Steve Jordan. So if that works, they can then say, well, it worked, and we, which I'm sure it will, you know, and we can carry on. So they're in an interesting position, aren't they? They don't have to start from scratch and make a statement about whether they're continuing. They are continuing. They were continuing anyway. Well, I don't know. Will they still now? I, 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 I wouldn't pretend to know. Because it's and one it, of those things, you know, it's personal, isn't it? You know, do you think it constitutes the stones? I don't really. I don't but think That's my feeling. You see, but, but, you, but you and but, I say we're, we're the same vintage, vintage with regard to these things. So we still think that Ronnie Wood was a bit of an interloper. Yeah, I don't think Ronnie was, was a Johnny Come Lately. Somebody called me from a national newspaper the other day after the sad news of the death of Charlie Watts and said, and said, well, it's, it's a sad, sad day. First Rolling Stone to die. I thought, no, I don't I think know. so. <laughs> I don't think so. You know, Brian Jones was you know, 50 yeah. years ago. Yeah, I I know. you could include Ian Stewart, you really. Could really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so, um, 
but but obviously, you know, very very sad for the well, clearly very sad for Charlie Watts' family and uh, but that's and for young, the rally. Young and, people and the, on the news desk of national papers, and I can remember being rung up by I sent an email by somebody saying, "Could I write something about the sad death of Clarence Clements?" And he'd spelt Clarence wrong, and he spelt Clemens wrong. <laughs> I was thinking, thinking, do you know who he is? I wonder yeah, if you actually know. But oh. now people are speculating. Well, you know, will they will they carry on? And yeah, I would. You wouldn't be surprised if they did, because you know there, there is a streak of cussedness about about Mick and Keith when it comes to these things, you know. And uh, you know, don't you be telling us when's the right and the dignified point to you know, to draw this to a close. Completely. Because I, I can't see them making an announcement of any kind. No, I can't. You know what I mean? And uh, it's what they do, you know, and it's their prerogative. And my feeling is if you don't approve, don't go. That's fine. Oh, absolutely. But, I mean, a lot of people do approve. I mean, it's like there must be a lot of people go who went to see The Who uh, who didn't have a rhythm section either and just had two members of the original team alive and thought that was fine. Danny Baker tweeted this fantastic thing the other day. I don't know if you saw that about... Um, <laughs> about Paul, the availability of Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. Yes. See, now this is good. He did it facetiously and said, well, why doesn't Paul and Ringo just get step in and help me? Then he suddenly thought, that is a fantastic idea. This is the ultimate tribute act where they can do 50% Stone songs and 50% Beatles They can do songs. I Want to Be a Man, can't they? Wouldn't they, be and they, could, they could, exactly, yes. Yeah. I thought it was a fantastic idea. So, you know, who, who knows what will occur? Because, and also... You know, when the Rolling Stones playing to these huge stadiums full of people, you know, 40,000, 50,000 people, there must be 30,000 people there who have no memory of them in the in, in even the 80s, Absolutely. let alone the 70s, let alone the 1960s. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're just this thing that's always been there and you, you should go and see while you can kind of thing, which people have been saying ever since... Ever since 1990. Yes, it's your last chance. Hurry. last chance. Fathers take sons, you know, exactly. So great Charlie moments. There he is on the cover of uh, Get Your Yah Yahs Out. Uh, What a curious cover that was. You know, on a jewels and binoculars hang from the head of a mule. Well, wasn't that the the gag? That's a Bob Dylan line, isn't it? I think you got binoculars hanging from the head of the mule. I'm not sure you got jewels. I thought there were jewels as well. Well, I may uh, be wrong, but I thought that was the gag. It was meant to allude to that line. I think I I don't think it deliberately does. It's just it's a donkey carrying a a drum kit and a guitar. Uh, Classic Charlie on the cover here of uh, their Satanic Majesty's Request. You know. Classic uh, uh, incarnation of the "Do I have to wear? Do I this have to boss? wear this boss?" Um, <laughs> picture, picture there. There he is on the cover of the Rolling Stones' second LP. Picture shot by David Bailey, I think. Yes, cover photograph, uh, David Bailey, um, and on the back there, looking uh, well turned out in the, in the suit and tie. First Rolling Stones. How? I mean, the the, the the nerve. This is your first album, and all it says on the front of that record is Decker. You know what I mean? It doesn't say Rolling Stones. And it opens with a Charlie Watts drum fill, I think, doesn't it, that album? I suppose so. Yeah, Yeah, Carol, I think it is, yeah. It probably does. And there they are. They are uh, depicted by Guy Pilate on the cover. It's only rock and roll. Uh, sorry, I'm boring you. Is this all right? This is absolutely <laughs> riveting. I love it. <laughs> I love it. 
This is yeah, the Rally Sound Sticky Fingers from 1971, so released pretty much, uh, you know, around about this time, 50 years ago. So that's amazing to think, actually. God, I'm just going to do that. Hang on a second, if I get that back. Um, that is extraordinary. 50 years ago, Mark, Sticky Fingers. 40 years ago, Tattoo Year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Only 10 years between the two. And it feels like eons, really. It does. <laughs> it separates the two of them. Uh, what's this one called? You, emotional Rescue. Yes, Emotional Rescue. Not one of those. You well, should tell the story of your interview. I was watching a bit of BBC Two last night. They had a little tribute to him. And they, they, they was playing Charlie at the BBC. And of course, they put your interview in, your little clip from 25 it, by 5. Did it? Did it I'll tell you, tell you. Shall I tell you the full boring story? I want the story. Well, I okay. know it, but I think people Maybe should hear you, it. You don't know the full story, Mark Allen. Not even you know the full story. Because there's a really long story here, which is that we were making a film for, well, Whistle Test 1986 about the Rolling Stones, about their 25th anniversary, which at the time seemed absolutely unprecedented and amazing. A band had been together 25 years. There weren't any, you know. No, it, no the, one the, can believe it. And, and the, the, the headlines in the papers were always the collective age of the Rolling Stones. Which they still they, do. They still are. The collective oh, age. God. Yeah, the collective age is whatever it it's would have been then. 127 not, and they're still going. It's you know. not been interesting since 1972, that, that particular gag, you know. No. But they still do it. Anyway... And so we had a meeting with Mick at their office in Cheney Walk. And it was agreed that they're all going to do interviews. They were all going to do individual interviews. And the joke was, even Charlie, you know, Charlie will have to do it. Yeah. He won't want to do it, but he'll have to do it. Mick, obviously, no trouble at all. Keith, Ronnie, no, even Bill, you know. But but Charlie's going to do it, and uh, you know we we tracked them all down and we did them all individually, and uh, and then but Charlie was always evasive, couldn't set up a time to do it at all. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And so 
I just had to grab him during filming for uh, they were making a video for one hit to the body at I think L Street Studios, a studio near London. Um, it's on the set, we're in the car park or something, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah, we're in the car, yeah. outside the car park, sound, yeah. there's a sound stage, and then we're outside in the car park. And I think it's directed by Russell Mulcahy, I think. And um, and they were saying, yeah, don't worry, we'll, we'll get Charlie. And Charlie was was clearly trying to avoid the issue. He was, he was going around the place like a kind of hunted animal, you know, he really didn't want to do it. But anyway, he's finally produced and, uh, all right, get started in the middle of the car park. And I'm aware of the fact that over my shoulder, doing the best, their best to make him laugh or to put him off or to add to his discomfiture were, of course, Keith and Ronnie, you know. <laughs> The eternal 15-year-old. I was going to say, it's suspended in, in, in perpetual adolescence. It's, it's, you know, it's the idea that they're kind of making faces over your shoulder. It's you know. funnier, you know what I mean? Kind of pinching each other and punching each other and all yeah. that sort of and, and you know what it's like. I mean, it's a nightmare doing interviews like that in, in the middle of car parks anyway because you're surrounded by people. All pretending that they're not listening, but really listening right like crazy, you know. And you go, and Charlie has every excuse to be distracted too, and, and he's distracting at him. And, Absolutely, know. and so and so I launched on my little bit, and yet you know, you know what these things are like. You're just trying to get them to bite on something that you'll get a usable answer out of, you know. You and do I a think, fantastic job. Well, no, I just kept keep going. At it I just kept going. You, you tee him up at the end. Well, hold on. And he comes first, of all, first of all, I, I think I said, I think I said, so this talk, I thought, let's get him off the subject of the Rolling Stones. Just get him to talk about jazz or something like that. You know, because you think, oh, that's there's somebody comfort zone. He can't pretend that he's being, you know, made to talk about something he's unwilling to talk about. So, so, so something like, oh, let's talk about your other careers. What other career? Getting really stroppy. I know. You know? know. It's yeah. like, oh, please, you know, you're doing, <laughs> you know, you're doing this interview. Well, I know you've been made to do it, but it's part of your kind of your job or whatever. It's your job. Anyway, and we we got through this, and then at the end, I don't know, I got somebody you know, was reflecting on twenty five years, and I, and I thought, so well, there's a lot of it's been hanging around, isn't it? And so. And I can't remember. I I, I I must have teed him up to say something you like. You did. You said a lot has been hanging around. And he says something like. He says something like uh, twenty years playing, five years hanging around. No, he said they were. He said is five it? years playing, twenty years hanging around. But he was. Be, I'll tell you what it was like. And I was telling. You, I was talking to Jeff um, Jeff the other day on on Five Live about it. Um, that um, he's very much like the famous Bob Dylan never ending tour quote. Um, which we all know came from Adrian Devoy. Adrian Devoy reviewed, interviewed him for Q. And he said, so tell us about your tour. He said, which tour? He says, well, it seems to never end. He said, yeah, it never ends. And so Adrian said, so it's a never-ending tour. And Dylan said, yes. And so it. the quote is Adrian probably as yeah. much as Bob Dylan, you know. Yeah. So this was a Shepard bit similar. This is a bit similar to that. And, of course, you know, they used that in the film or whatever. And then they... they they must have recut all that footage for, and I think it turned up in some, possibly in some kind of career retrospective, probably after 50 years or something, made for the American market, where they took my little bit 
and they overdubbed my voice with an American so that they could make it That's sound. That's cheeky. As if, they, as if they'd invented it, as if they were responsible. Can I just go a bit That's further? That's shocking. Can I just go a bit further? It's fucking cheeky. That is really it is. cheeky. Did anybody ever complain? Well, who's going to complain? You know, it's years gone, you know, it's the BBC, nobody can Oh, that's wretched. That's a low <laughs> trick. So, and I just getting off that off my chest right now, you know. And, uh, and so that quote, that quote was, was unwillingly dragged out of him. It's now quoted absolutely everywhere. It is. That's it's the weird. one thing everyone always says about it. And... Um, so that's that's the way those things go. So anyway, more Rolling Stones records. There you are, Exile on Main Street. What a great cover that still Fantastic. is. Fantastic. Uh, some girls original original cover there, Mark. Before they had to withdraw Lucille Ball or whoever. Uh, there, there you are. Um, there's can I see Charlie, little figure on the top of the cake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let yeah, it bleed. Yeah, yeah. And the cover of the cake of the cone, the cover of Let It Bleed. By Delia Smith. By Delia Smith. Delia Smith made the cake. And now we have the best Rolling Stones record. Uh, no, maybe not. The first one's probably the best one. Second best one, Aftermath. What a great record. Okay. Aftermath is. Roll gold. Oh, I've got another copy of Aftermath. I've got two mono copies of Aftermath, Mark. Rolling Stones, Beggar's Banquet, great record. Uh, Goat's Head Soup, we were talking about that earlier. Uh, through the past, hit uh, Through the Past Darkly. And uh, there he is looking splendid on the cover Between the Buttons, cover taken by Gary Magfitch. Interesting Charlie moments. We were talking to somebody on our, on our quiz last night, weren't we? The Royal New Year quiz, who pointed out that on Honky Tonk Women, he only hits the symbol twice. Yes. And I listened to it and checked it. It's true. At the very beginning, after the cowbell, there's just one strike of the cymbal, and then there's no use of cymbal till the very end. The very last note of the song is a cymbal. Isn't it interesting? Absolutely. And there Funny how, how, with, Looking with, splendid on the cover of Art of Our Heads. Taken, as Garib was telling us, in uh, Mason's Yard, out the back of uh, Garib's old studio. Carry on. Go on. I was going to say, it's interesting, when, you know, when guitarists or, or keyboard players, you, you, you get people using adjectives to describe their music. It's wailing or it's elegiac, their tone, or comparing them to other musicians. But a drummer, you get lots of technical information yeah. because you can physically see what they're doing and you want that explained to you. There's a brilliant piece by Max Weinberg, I read, where he talks about... Um, well, also Stuart Copeland saying the one thing about Charlie Watts, he played very quietly, which I didn't realise. He played incredibly quietly, which yeah. is amplified really loud. So he yeah, has that amazing no, he, lightness he of touch. He, yeah, he, and that detail, if you, if you listen you to never saw like, him lift his joint. No. You never saw him lift his arms, did you? Never, ever. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, Max Weinberg says, and everyone always talks about how we play behind the beat, but Max Weinberg explains it really well. He said that he, he used this technique, the great Al Jackson, the Stax drummer, where you deliberately put, play behind the back, back beat, not by focusing on the two and four beats, but the one and three. And when you listen to that, you realise that that's what gives the Stones that slightly loose quality that you think it's slightly, right. sort of, slightly lazy, you know, it's slightly kind of insouciant, slovenly kind of sound. You know, it's really Bill Wyman said... Um, uh, Bill Wyman, who obviously should know. I must get this quote. Uh, it's a really good quote. He said that the Rolling Stones had a... It was a wobble. Oh, uh, right. Yes. Uh, 
explains the Rolling Stones wobble. Here we go. It's uh, cool. No, it's from my. Something happens to my. Yeah, I put it on my. It's on my blog. I wrote this years. Oh, ago. You wrote this. So no, I wrote this down from something he was. Yeah, he's talking in the documentary Crossfire Hurricane, which I think is probably where my quote was used. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Something happens when we play together. It's impossible to copy. Every band follow the drummer. We don't follow Charlie. Charlie follows Keith. So the drums are very slightly behind Keith. It's only fractional, seconds, minuscule, and I tend to play ahead. It's got a sort of wobble. It's dangerous because it can fall apart at any moment. That's lovely. <laughs> yeah. It makes they- you go back and just reassess those things, which I've done. Uh, and and it's, it's all about technique. It's a lovely it- thing that Max Weinberg talks about where he says he takes um, Joe Morello to see the Rolling Stones. Joe Morello was the drummer of the Dave Brubeck Quartet. Right. And introduced him to Charlie because Charlie loved to meet him. And they just go off into a corner and all they talk about, there's no small talk at all. All they talk about is how did you play the drum part on take five? What did you do? Explain that to me. I love things like that. It's so technical, isn't it? It's just so, you know, so and so competitive. This is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. So you've seen the story about the uh, Nirvana album sleeve the the nevermind album sleeve and without wishing obviously to get into a conversation about whether or not this guy has any right to to take this court case uh which he claims that uh you know that he was exploited and damaged by the fact that his, this his, his picture was used spencer eldon spencer eldon spencer eldon 25 years ago who appeared as a three-month-old child or whatever i thought it was interesting that spencer eldon has if you if you have a look at him he, he is he's actually promoted his relationship with this record on a few occasions one of which was turning up on on the program never mind the buzzcocks uh where he gives a little interview the day before saying how much he's looking forward to going it's going to be a lot of fun to be on this program and he's in the identity parade you know the thing we have to go yeah, guess yeah, yeah. which one it is yeah. which one's the guy on the, on yeah. who was uh, the baby on the cover and i think about four or five of them turn up i think naked apart from something obviously uh turning uh covering up any uh, important parts and so he's there he is clearly very keen to to talk about his association with this thing but um and now taking a court case I mean, it's a pretty phenomenal story, isn't it? I mean, the, he claims the the the, the um, he claims that there was he was never paid for appearing on the cover. They got two hundred quid for it, didn't they? It, and that apparently, his parents never signed a release form. Now, if so, you know, they, they, I bet there's some some asses have been kicked at Geffen Records nowadays. It's possible if, because if somebody they got didn't it. sign a release form, you know. Yeah. They, they got it from the from the photographer, didn't they? I think. No, they what? shot it for they. They shot it. For it the was cover. shot. For that. I, I, yeah, well, that's according to the account I'm looking at. Um, but his parents never signed a release form. Although, as you say, he was perfectly happy with it. Uh, but but the thing I wanted to really take issue with this, and I want to ask Alex's view on this. Actually, he claims that the lawsuit claims the image is sexually graphic. And says it makes Eldon resemble a sex worker grabbing for a dollar bill. And um, was it ever seen as sexually graphic? I don't remember no. it being. No. It, it, was, it was kind of seen as being innocent, wasn't it? This is a baby swimming as a dollar bill. And, you know, that's just a kind of that's a kind of gag, you know. It was a comment on capitalism, wasn't it? I suppose. Yeah, it wasn't we're seen all as motivated sexually. by money. Yeah, but, but clearly some some lawyers come along, had a whisper in this chap's ear, and, he, and turned his head. 
and uh, promised a, a load of cash, no doubt. So. Well, yeah, which I'm sure he could probably guess. You know, I, I'm no expert, but you know that. Well, if that, they didn't that, sign that, a release form, that's interesting. Because it's not about the record; it's about the image. And you know, I bet I bet they're selling that image on T-shirts. You know that uh, they're probably it's probably you know related to what we we're talking to Eamon about Eamon Ford. You know, the other week on his book about leaving the building about rock and roll estates. That that you end up being the bulk of the earning is uh, is in fashion items is in yeah. is in posters it's not in music at all uh, and Nirvana although interestingly enough they never sought this you know everything that they said was we don't care about that side of things at all it ended up but earned them a fortune didn't it you know Nirvana logos and uh, you know the image on that on that Huge first, uh, first album. The you know, smiley you, face with the crossed out eyes. Yeah, all, yeah, all, all, all that, that stuff. All, all those kind of. Interestingly, did you know this chap um, has? I, I believe he has a tattoo of the Nevermind font. Uh, he does. <laughs> yeah. See, I think that's going to be quite hard to uh, that, when that's brought not, to it's not going to well, well in court, is it? <laughs> well, I think so. Except that you know, if if they didn't sign a release and the final and the summer money wasn't wasn't fair, they, he might be able to get somewhere. I don't know, but I just thought it was interesting. This. Um, this argument that the, the sexually graphic, because I think it sort of relates to the other, you know, controversial old album covers that often get you know pulled out in this in this context, which are things like the you know the Blind Faith album cover from oh, 1969, yeah. or Jimi Hendrix Electric Ladyland, or Led Zeppelin's Houses of of, of the Holy. I don't think they were ever seen as particularly sexually graphic. Not at remotely. All. You know, they remotely. Kind of modern representations of, of, of you know, like cherubs and cherub illustrations. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if people, you think about people, it. They, they, they raised the eyebrows a bit. But, uh, you know, you take Houses of the Holy, which is another, you know, the one that's sort of controversial. You know, that was seen as kind of innocent and no, wow. That was a piece of art, wasn't it? Have you heard of the, the album that Halsey's just released? No. Is it an artist called Halsey, and she's just released a record. Uh, which ca- contains an image of her with 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 baby on lap, with her naked breast exposed, and uh, her argument is it's you know it's all about it's it's empowerment and, and well they that. see that this is always it, it's anything nowadays if you want to defend anything you say it's empowering that's just what you do nobody said that pre ten years ago they said something different you know and it'll be something different in another ten years time. So. <laughs> That's just uh, that's the way of the times. Although talking of contra of courting controversy, Mark, did you look at the uh, the clip of uh, Kanye West doing his latest listening party for his album? Oh, in, I did, where he sets himself on fire in front of a mere forty thousand people. In I know what, I, what I was amazed about that is that is that is that nobody at any point uh, suggested it might not be him. You know because. Oh, yeah. I mean, news stories tend to just go along with whatever makes the best news story. They're not going to they're not going to burst the bubble by checking any facts. No insurance company in a gazillion years would ever allow Kanye West to to, to appear to be even slightly on. You fire. may be right. You it may be, be right. They must have swapped it with somebody, and he must have gone out on stage. Apparently, been burning. But but uh, I was intrigued by the fact that he appeared. Uh, two people that he, he chose to appear with him, apart from his is she estranged wife Kim Kardashian who apparently, according to the report I saw, was there to support her husband. No, she bloody wasn't. She was there to get some more publicity. More publicity, entirely. That's as simple as that. Anyway, he appeared. He chose two people to appear with him on this occasion. 
And one was the rapper DaBaby, who's been in somewhat hot water over the last two weeks after after launching into some rant about people with AIDS and gay people or whatever. Yeah. And the other is the the always controversial Marilyn Manson, you know, who was you know who was, was dropped by his record label, wasn't well, it? Well, just think, terrible, for, uh, all sorts know, of terrible yeah, allegations yeah. involving women. Yeah, um, and so the the idea of Kanye West just just thinks I can't get sufficient publicity out of setting myself on fire in front of forty thousand people. I know I'll get these two guys along oh, as well. Roping a couple of other people, exactly. But it, it, it is just extraordinary. You know, the, 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 it's a listening party. It, it's basically a live advertising stunt, isn't it? It's kind of beyond advertising. It's sort of the record itself doesn't matter. It's just the event. He's done a load of these. And he'll probably, he'll probably continue doing them. You know what I mean? It's all just... Drawing attention to you, isn't it? You know, keeping keeping Kanye's, your Kanye's own. brand is is essentially being bonkers these days, isn't I it? I suppose it, it is. is. How, how can actually, he how can he up the bonkers for the next? Up the bonkers. I think it's a genius idea in terms of uh, of uh, drawing attention to yourself <laughs> to set yourself on fire. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> now talking <laughs> of people setting themselves on fire on album covers because there are there are you know going from the guy Spencer Eldon, you know. Who appeared on the Nirvana? Are you talking about album, the uh, album? Big with, yeah, we, well, yeah, the, the people who ended up being famous uh, because of their appearance on album covers. The, the two guys on the cover of Pink Floyd's "Wish You Were Here," Ronnie Rondell and Danny Rogers, uh, who are two two um, Hollywood stuntmen who specialised in uh, in setting themselves. Who really on fire. are on fire? Seriously, that's not airbrushed, is it? This is not because you see, I've been I did some work on, a, on the, the making a film about hypnosis, the the you know, the sleeve designers, and I spoke to Aubrey Powell about this, who photographed that. And because the thing about hypnosis back in the day is all their extraordinary stunts, they did. They actually did it. They did in they the really real did world. Fly a pig over. I mean, it's, it's, it's really incredible now, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, absolutely everything they did. You know, they when they wanted to have somebody uh, swimming in a phone box, they got a phone box. They, they built a phone box, water. That's filled right. it with water, and yeah. put somebody in it. That's how you did it. Yeah. Before the days of Photoshop, whereas now, so so half the half the appeal of looking at those things. And yeah, I don't even remember Wish You Were Here when it first appeared. It came in a black vinyl wrap round. Do you remember this, yeah. Mark? Yeah, I do. Which had a sticker on the outside saying Pink Floyd, Wish You Were Here. And then you ripped it off. So you took this, this beautiful kind of stuff and you just ripped it off. And then the next thing you saw was two guys shaking hands, one of whom was on fire. One of them on fire. And this was like whenever it was, 1976, 77 or something like that. And so when you looked at images like that, in those days you went, oh, my God, look at that. And I don't think you do that any longer because <laughs> no, you don't. Because absolutely <laughs> everything is, you can, you know, it's Photoshop or it's digitally <laughs> reworked or, or whatever. You can never have the same trust in the image can you anymore no you, you can't I, I used to have a picture in the kitchen of my old mate tom hibbert interviewing margaret thatcher which i yeah, think is quite funny said. and then uh, suddenly got to a point where i had to take it down because people would look at it and go oh, very very clever oh yes. that's clever isn't it? Well, and why bother why bother to do that you know it happened 
happened. It's it really real. Happened. It's real. The funny, it struck me looking at the thinking of all the people who were on the covers. It's just random people who've turned up on album covers. One is is that guy Paul Cole, who's the American tourist, sixty year old American tourist. Here he on is on the cover of there he is on the cover of Abbey Road. And I think that's really interesting because we now know you and I from from doing podcasts uh, and talking to the people who did the artwork for this for this record that they changed the color of the sky. Well, they made it bluer. So if they could do that, was it not possible back in those days to remove people? I guess it wasn't, because you think what you do is yeah, airbrush it, that it would have been a, It would have been a lot of work to do it. And I don't think there's any point, because also there's there's some decorators uh, for the other side of the road, you know, in yeah, white overalls. Right, uh, uh, yes, that's true. You know, and, I mean, the obvious thing to do would have been to move the car. For yeah. God's sake, because if, if anybody was shooting an album cover nowadays, I think I'm right in saying and they were gonna it was gonna be a big album cover, yeah. And they had a car on it that they didn't have an agreement with the car manufacturer to have to the use car. that they, number plate, basically. They, oh, oh no, exactly. no, to have the car to have the car itself, they'd say no, get rid of it. Yeah, get rid of it. You can't put anything in any of those pictures that you don't kind of own or control. Whereas, and that car, that, that car's had a life of its own, isn't it? That, that's, that's, that, that all sorts of it's changed in, hands. And, it's in a know. VW museum in in Germany. That's right. Uh, but the guy who owns it is still with us. He got in touch after I wrote a thing in the Radio Times about this a couple of years ago. Um, but, yes, Paul Cole. Paul Cole died a few years ago, you know, and he, was, he gave interviews for the rest of his life about having been the man on the cover of Abbey I Road. love it. It's in really detailed. It's all about how he'd gone out and bought a new blazer, yeah, hadn't he, yes. the sales. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he's standing there waiting for his wife. And he looks around and he said, um, I've got to hear, he said, uh, said, I just had to look up and I saw these guys walking across the street like a line of ducks, a bunch of kooks, because they were all rather radical looking at the time and he didn't walk around London barefoot. It's just a lovely idea. And then years later, somebody points out to him, that's you, isn't yes, it? Yes, you on the gonna, cover of Abbey Road. Just an incredible thing to happen, you know. The other one, the other one here I've got is uh, is the cover of uh, Bob Dylan, John Wesley Harding, and uh, and you know because this this appeared at the height of psychedelia, when absolutely yeah the Beatles had done Sgt. Pepper where where you were encouraged to know who everybody was on the cover you know it was a puzzle, and then Bob Dylan appears with this, and you think who the hell's these guys with Bob Dylan. And these are these two are the side of him are the balls Bull, of Bengal. Balls of Bengal, that's uh, right. Who yeah. were Indian folk musicians who were spending time in Woodstock. And I think Albert Grossman was managing them at the time. And the other the other unaccountable person here is is a guy called Charlie Joy, who's just behind Bob Dylan. It was a, a carpenter and kind of handyman. And he just happened, that picture was taken in in the garden of Sally Grossman's house in Woodstock on a day when it was like 20 below, unbelievably cold. And uh, Charlie Joy just happened to be working on the place. And so Bob Dylan said, come and get in the picture. And he ended up being on the on the cover of John Wesley Harding. And there's another person down the bottom, isn't there, that Sid Griffin pointed out to us. You can see the cowboy hat of the person who's kneeling down at the front who's been cut out of the picture. Oh, good grief, right? Yeah, there is. There's another person there. <laughs> It's absolutely fantastic. And then there are the people who were there very deliberately. The um the Kurt Kate Murta. Oh yeah, Kate Murta on the bre- 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 is the bre- is the woman the who holds yeah. the holds the torch or the or the glass of Coca Cola or whatever it is on the cover of Supertramp's Breakfast in America. But Kate Murta was an actress and a, and a musician. And she'd been in various musicals and she was actually in the film of Breakfast at Tiffany's, which made me think that's possibly why she got the job. 
Really interesting. Oh, another one I like. Another one I like is the um, is the Meat is Murder cover, and the cover of that was uh, a guy who was an American Marine and photographed while he was out in Vietnam, and he had "Make Love Not War" written on his on his uh, helmet, and they used that picture and changed it to "Meat is Murder." And he oh, saw it. His, his sister was out shopping in a shopping mall, and suddenly saw this thing and brought it back. And said, "Isn't this you?" And he was absolutely astonished because, of course, nobody asked your permission. You know, there you are. Nobody would ever know it was him. But he was just amazed that they used that thing and that they changed the wording. You know, that's quite something. Yeah, and there's, there's there's obviously there's Peter Bowen who's on the cover of the um, of the of the U two records. Oh yes, who's on War and on Boy. Yeah, and uh, but one of my other favourites is is this is Hardcore by Pulp. And there's a girl on the cover of that who's called Zenia Sobchak. And she was a socialite actress and politician who eventually ran against, you remember, it's a kind of slightly pornographic image of her in the yeah, red yeah, dress. You know. yeah. She then ran against Vladimir Putin in the 2018 Russian presidential election. Incredible, really. And, di- and didn't win, obviously. Didn't enough. win, no. Youngest presidential candidate in Russian history. That's amazing that she's the girl on the cover of yeah. This is hardcore, you know. I love all this stuff. I do stuff. too. Because yeah, you don't get this with CDs. You know, nobody ever goes. Nobody Look bothered. at that person on the cover of that CD. It's always the LP. So, uh, Alex, you're off to sea. I am, yes. You, you've got your kit bag over your shoulder. You, you've written to your mum. You're, uh, you know, you're going to be... A, Alex goes occasionally to be a cabin boy, you know, uh, on, a well, pirate, on a pirate ship. And are they letting you off at all? Three months, isn't it? Is it three months? Two and a half, three months, yeah. As things stand, how often do you get to shore? Well, we, we, we dock at a port every day, pretty much. Um, so this one, this particular stint is a sort of circle around the Western Meds predominantly, um, tottering between Spain and Italy, um, broadly. And we'll be somewhere every day, but as things stand, because of the you know the, the current situation, um, we've been told that crew at the moment are not allowed to get off the ship, I suppose. It's because that's right. That's what you told me. So I thought you were you were actually pretty much shipbound, aren't you? For two, pretty two much. Or three months. Well, passengers can get off with an accredited shore excursion, so they can go off to do. That's, so, a, that's hardly liberation. That well, I, I, I don't know because you've you got to go around a ruin. No, no. You, well, you, you dock in Naples. You, you're going to want to see Pompeii. Do, do you know what I mean? And so you have to go for a specific purpose and not go outside your bubble. And yeah. I mean, there are, there are tons of things you can do, um, but you know. Um, Old Alex from the Beatles getting off to go to H and M to buy some socks. It doesn't really kind <laughs> That's of. That's not very high on the list of priorities. <laughs> no. So we've, I've found myself in a curious position of having to pack for a solid three months, um, which has been interesting. So you've uh, dry cleaned your Beatles suits. Dry cleaned my suits, got them retailed, got the you know made sure I've got the requisite amount of socks plus some spare socks. Socks right. key, as we all know, um, and. Uh, yeah, ready, ready to go. We're in the Isle of Wight at the moment. Currently uh, in, a, in a little hotel in Newport. We're rehearsing in Ride. Literally got a ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride. That's where the be- that's where the Beatles got their idea, isn't it? It was. Yeah, they used to go down and see what Paul's uncle. They know it's John's yeah. John's auntie, wasn't it? <laughs> Not Paul's uncle, John's auntie. I, I think it was John's auntie, wasn't it? Mimi. Well, maybe I'm wrong. But there's somebody actually had a ticket to Ride. R Y R Y D E, didn't they? And that's how the idea was. Amazing. I can take it to ride. Fantastic. I got a hovercraft here yesterday, which is fun. Oh, uh, right. I didn't how know they were still going. No, yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. So they sort of get put into the, you know, the holding pen. 
So you do. So you, they, they, you, they really do cane up off the off the off the off the off the sea, up the beach, and into the into the hole, into the shed. Presumably, it's absolutely terrifying. Isn't that amazing. Like it's coming to attack. You know, this thing just leaps out of the sea onto the beach and sort of deflates itself. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't choppy or anything like that. Because people always say hovercrafts and choppy. That's no, why they didn't work. It's people people felt really ill on hovercrafts. It was it when they were like such a good idea. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty smooth. I mean, yeah, it went it really be. fast as well, actually. Right. Right. Um, but it was a it was a calm day, you know. I'd imagine in November it's a bit of a different story. But um, so next time we meet you, you'll be on the ocean wave. Are we wearing me pirate hat? We're stowed away. <laughs> we shall look forward. <laughs> we shall look forward to what, that, Alex. What's, what, what's a pirate's favourite letter? I don't know. What's a pirate's favourite or something? No, go on. No, it's not R, it's the sea loves. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 